Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. So this week, I am stepping out of my comfort zone with my interview. Um, And when I say stepping out of my comfort zone, I am like stepping way, way, way out of my comfort zone. It is so far out of my comfort zone, I am practically on Mars. Um, Not that it should be out of my comfort zone, but it was definitely a challenge for me. And I know it can be a challenge for many people in my generation and in older generations. So this June, not this June, but June is Pride Month. And uh, in honor of that, and as something that I've been working on for a little while, I wanted to do a podcast on the intersection between lesbian, gay, bisexual, transgender issues and the disability community. So transgender issues do come up in the autism community, in the neurodivergent community um, at what seems to be a higher rate. And certainly there's a lot to talk about there. In the mental health space, there's a lot to talk about there. And it's not that the fact of being transgender is a mental health issue, but there are so many things that can be impacted in the mental health space. So I am so fortunate to have someone who works with me in my office, Ivy Lee Martinez, whose adult child, L. Martinez, is an advocate and an outspoken person in the transgender community in Massachusetts. Elle was a fantastic interview and they are an enormous force to be reckoned with in the transgender space here in our state. So L uses pronouns they, them, their. I struggle with this. I am just going to be honest with you, audience, that it is an enormous leap for me, as, as I said, as many um, in, my, in my age range, in my, um, and, and older, you know, it's not something that I grew up with. It's um, it's just different. It's I struggle to get used to using plural pronouns for an individual, but I'm trying. My my entire being is all about respect for the individual. Everything I do every day and have done for over 25 years of my professional life has been 
about respect for the individual person and every person is of value. So June is Pride Month and it started in honor of the 1969 Stonewall Uprising in Manhattan. I looked it up because I was curious about how Pride Month started and it actually started as a day. The last Sunday in June was initially celebrated as Gay Pride Day. And I remember this growing up that it was an individual day in major cities and the day um, grew to encompass you know, a month-long series of events like so many things, um, Women's History Month, Black History Month, and now we have Pride Month. And today, these celebrations include all kinds of workshops and um, symposia, uh, different um, events across the country, that, um, you know, it's not just a parade anymore. It attracts millions of participants around the world. And also, you know, memorials regarding people who we've lost to um, HIV and AIDS and hate crimes. And it's important as a commemorative month to, to, remind ourselves of how much further we still have to go. So it was really awesome to be talking with Elle as a person who has gone through so much in their young life and has so much more to contribute. Elle just gave testimony on a very important bill in Massachusetts and I'll let them tell you about it in our interview together. And it has to do with the fact that there isn't a way on driver's licenses in Massachusetts to do anything but pick you know, a male or a female gender on your license. And if you don't identify as either or, then what do you do? So, um, so amazingly proud to know them and um, really excited for the audience to get to know El Martinez. So I hope that you enjoy this interview as much as I did. And here we go. Welcome back, podcast fans. I'm your host, Annette Hines, and this is Parenting Impossible, the special needs survival podcast. And I am so happy to be here live and in person, my first podcast back in person in so, so long. And I'm so lucky to be here today with Ivy Lee Martinez, who actually works in my office. And I'm here with her adult child, Al Martinez. Welcome, you guys. Thank, Thank you. you. Thanks for having us. So we are here talking about what I find a very challenging topic. And it is about gender identity issues. And Elle is so patient with me today. <laughs> um, as I struggle with 
pronouns and language, as so many people struggle when they talk to me about disability language issues. So, Elle, thank you so much for coming on the show and also for being so patient with me and with so many people in my generation as we are just trying to figure this out and trying to be comfortable with all of this. Thank you so much for being here. Yeah, I'm very happy to be here. So your resume is so impressive. You're 19 <laughs> years old. I am exhausted just looking at it. Honestly, I can't believe how much you've gotten done. Um, and I, I want to just ask you how, you know, first of all, you're from my town. And so I know a little bit about our shared school district. Yes. Um, and so our family had some challenges with our school district. What was that like for you as you were growing up? Ooh. Can you <laughs> just tell me a little bit about your experiences and maybe Ivy Lee can chime in a little bit as the parent here. Sure. At the beginning of the story, as you were starting to recognize and come into your, you know, growing adult self, mm -hmm. can we start at the beginning there? Sure. So um, the beginning starts, hmm, the beginning, I mean, so I've, kind of always known that something was a bit off with my gender, but um, I didn't really acknowledge it until freshman year of high school. Um, in eighth grade, I had a couple of my friends come out as LGBTQ, and um, I got to thinking about how maybe not everyone else felt the way that I felt. Um, I didn't know it wasn't normal to like people of all genders. I thought everyone was that way. Um, so. Uh, I was very surprised that <laughs> that wasn't how the world worked. Oh. Um, so in high school, I, uh, again, kind of started coming into my adult self, started to understand my gender, express myself more. Mm -hmm. um, I started making a lot more decisions about what I was wearing. And that's, I think, where a lot of it started. Um, Is that commonplace? I think it's, it's some, some youth just, yeah, I think it's somewhat common, you know, when you're, you know, growing up, especially in that transition between middle to high school, um, you know, some people strive to be, you know, cool or popular and I was fine where I was. <laughs> so I just wanted to kind of explore and, uh, try new things. Um, so my freshman year, I joined the GSA, the gender and sexuality Alliance, um, and I met a lot of LGBTQ plus people who reminded me of me. Um, and from there, I met more transgender youth. And I had never officially met a trans person. Many people have trans people in their lives. They might not know it, but openly trans youth who I went to school with. Um, and that got me thinking about my gender identity. Um, and... For a lot of trans folks, there's kind of a period in time of like, is this really happening? Is this actually something I have to deal with? You know, I have a couple friends right now who are just coming to terms with the fact that they might not be cisgender. Um, and with the usage of that word, it might be good to do Please a little bit. 
please explain to what this gender is. Yeah. So that's uh, a word that did not exist when we were younger. No. Yeah. Not in, not in popular culture. So um, a bit of a, a terminology breakdown. We'll call Thank it. you. So um, some of us need it. Not everybody, <laughs> but I raise my hand that I have been doing a lot of a lot of reading before yeah. this interview. Lots <laughs> of reading. Um, so to start, uh, the term gender is a term used to describe uh, the gender or gender identity in someone's brain. So I am a non-binary person. Um, you know, my sister is a girl or a woman. Um, everybody has a gender identity. So my mom mm -hmm. is a woman. She's female, whatever term she wants to use. Mm -hmm. um, the term sex is often conflated with gender, but they're actually different things. So sex is the term used to describe um, your biological sex assigned at birth. Physical. Yes. So chromosomes, primary and secondary sex characteristics. Um, there's actually more than one, there's actually more than two sexes. Um, you know, there are people who are born with different anatomy. Those people are actually called intersex. So nothing is really in a binary or in a, a two choice system. Um, so generally a rule of thumb is to not ask transgender people what sex they were assigned at birth um, because often it's really just important between them and their doctor. No one else really needs to right. know. Right, kind of like not asking a disabled person, what's wrong with you? Yes, exactly. <laughs> it's it's considered rude and if you don't know the person, it's just, why would you ask that sure. question? <laughs> um, that makes sense to me. Yeah, so we have gender, which is what's in people's brains. We have sex, which is people's bodies. And then we have gender expression. So gender expression, is basically the way that you appear, how you hold yourself. So um, I'm wearing bright eye makeup right now, and that's part of my gender expression. That's part it's of the thing. Beautiful, by the way. <laughs> <laughs> Thank you. I appreciate it. Um, two more terms I want to clarify it is uh, the term transgender is used to describe someone who doesn't identify with the sex they were assigned at birth. So my mom is cisgender. She mm -hmm. has F on her birth certificate. She was assigned female at birth and she's a woman. She's female. Um, I'm transgender because I was assigned a sex at birth that I don't identify with. Um, I identify as non-binary, which means that I'm not a man or a woman. I'm not female or male. I like to say I'm just chilling. I'm just being me. <laughs> Um, I like that. Um, so there we have we have gender, which is in your brain. We have sex, which is in your body. We have gender expression, which is like kind of what you wear. And then we have the terms transgender and cisgender to describe the different ways that people identify. So um, a lot of people think that, you know, they don't have a gender, but that's actually not true. Everyone has a gender. So I think it's fascinating for people who maybe aren't aware of this terminology because they actually have a whole you know, part in the conversation. Um, and on the note of uh, they, them pronouns, because I think it's really important to educate about that as well. Um, I'm someone who uses singular they, them pronouns. Um, I use those pronouns instead of she, her, or he, him, um, because those pronouns are gender neutral. That's my reasoning. Some people have different reasons, very specific, just like Disability is a very specific topic in terms of language, right? Um, so if someone were to refer to me, for example, um, 
I can use my name first. So L is sitting in the chair. Um, instead of saying she is sitting in the chair or he is sitting in the chair, you'd say they are sitting in the chair. Um, so sometimes there are kind of linguistical things between the difference of is and are, um, but generally uh, they, them pronouns can be instituted almost the same way as other pronouns um, in language. Um, and I was actually just talking with someone in the office about how singular they, them pronouns have existed for a while um, in the English language. They just kind of, uh, I guess, came out of style in the modern era, but they've been used for quite a long time. So it's really fascinating. Um, so we have our, our, our terminology laid out for folks. Um, I'll also provide you with written definitions so you can have them. I love that. <laughs> I would really like to um, attach those to our show notes and that I think will be really helpful to our audience because I know there are so many people who are, I don't want to say struggling with this, but I want to say really eager to learn and to get better at this and who are accepting, mm -hmm. but are just working at it yeah, they're, they're processing <laughs> we're working and at it yes. yeah, because things are changing you know and we're just trying to change along with it and I can add to that as the mom <laughs> um, that in the beginning it was incredibly hard and yeah. so what we would do a lot is just use Elle's name Mm. as opposed to a pronoun just always a great option yeah. right but it takes a lot of practice a lot of practice and I would even use L's pronouns when L wasn't around you really have to push yourself to do that when I would talk about L with other people and I would use they them theirs sometimes he would like well, who are you talking about my, my <laughs> close friends would know yes and if I messed up my friends would say things to me oh, oh you're using the wrong pronoun that's great. so helpful yes. Um, but you have to I love use that. it as, you just have to do it as much as possible. And then you kind of just reprogram your brain. <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it, that's a great way of putting it. And I think a lot of people, you know, feel bad for getting pronouns wrong, but you quite literally are reprogramming your brain and the way you speak. It's, you know, it's not always simple. It's simple for me now because I'm in a culture with a lot of trans people and I'm, you know, accustomed to people changing their pronouns frequently or changing their names even frequently. I'm very accustomed right. to it now, but people don't, you know, live in that culture. But isn't it wonderful, though, I think even just at your generation, you're so much more flexible with language. Yeah, with a lot of things. With so wonderful. many things. <laughs> it is wonderful. And I really think that we are trying at our generation level, um, most of us are anyway. Yeah, not all of us, but most of us are. Um, so, you know, we we have. But on that note, we you know, so we have this debate over language in the disability community, and we're going to talk about that intersection in a minute. Cool. But there are some people in the disability community who aren't as forgiving about mistakes and who just really get angry. Mm. And so, you know, how do you, how do you, um, you've been very patient with me, but I have encountered some folks who are not so patient. patient. <laughs> yeah. And I think that, um, 
it's really important to note that, you know, it's different for everybody. And I think, um, and I'm sure, you know, a lot of, I mean, I, I have a disability of an invisible disability, but I think a lot of disabled folks can relate to the frustration and the really trauma, trauma that they've Jinx, we said it at the same time. <laughs> Yay, trauma. Um, but I, I think a lot of disabled folks can relate to how frustrating and exhausting, you know, either people letting you down or getting it wrong yes. can be. So I think it's always important, you know, as someone with privilege or who's not a part of that culture to understand that there may be more behind that. Um, like, I think it's not our job to teach you how to be more accepting of me yeah. kind of thing. Yes. And, you know, there, there are people like me who, you know, come on podcasts and provide that education, but not every trans person wants to do that. And, you know, that's a difficult thing oftentimes for society to accept. Right. Um, but I think when it comes to, to pronouns, you know, I uh, have been through high school with pronouns. I've been through, you know, I've taught every teacher I've ever had about my pronouns. Um, the first day of school is a lot of educational talks with my teachers and gender 101. Um, and, you know, I've had to be patient with my friends who've gotten better and especially with my family because it's a very complicated thing. And, you know, um, my dad's side of the family, a lot of people, English isn't their first language. Um, so there's a lot of a lot of navigating to do. But I think for me, often what I tell people when they, what they should do if they mess up on pronouns. So if you mess up on someone's pronouns, I always think it's best to just correct yourself and just continue to move forward. Um, I've had a lot of situations where people, you know, really feel the need to apologize profusely. And while I understand that reflex and I appreciate it, it just feels alienating sometimes, especially in a group environment, um, because the conversation just stops and it turns into apologies. So I always think it's nice for, you know, people to correct themselves, maybe say a quick apology and move on um, because it really is, you know, we really do need to keep the conversation moving forward. Um, but I think, you know, I, I have a lot of patience because I've really been, I've done a lot of press and I have a lot of interaction with the public and I do a lot of training. So I have that patience built up um, and some people don't. And I think it's just, you know, it's a matter of navigating. Mm. That's really profound for a 19 year old. <laughs> You're so freaking impressive. <laughs> so Elle, the disability community um, seems to, from a lot of the studies that I've read, have three to five times more intersection with gender identity issues. Mm -hmm. You want to call them issues. Yeah. I, they call them issues in the studies. I don't know if it, issues are the right way to I, say I it, but issues is, issues is feels, often the word I hear. feels I, strong to say it issues. It does feel strong. But that's way, the way it's Presented, sort of labeled. Yeah. yeah. In the research anyway, um, which seems surprising to me. And I'm not sure if it's a chicken or an egg kind of a situation. So I thought I would throw that out to you and say, let's discuss. Yeah. I, I, I mean, the, the interaction between disabled communities and like queer LGBTQ communities is, um, I think pretty long running. Um, I think that a lot of folks underestimate just how many LGBT people there are in the world. <laughs> so we're obviously going to have some overlap, but I also think that, um, 
you know, especially in like neurodivergent communities um, and like autistic communities, you know, autistic people are more likely to be transgender and some autistic people actually center their gender identity around, you know, their autism because they feel it so strongly affects their identity. Um, And I think that's really, really fascinating and interesting. In fact, I think um, neurodivergent and autistic people specifically have been uh, really key in, in pushing forward gender into new ideas and concepts, um, which I think is really awesome. They've been very brave in coming forward with their, um, I guess, what they would consider differences, which maybe are not so different anymore. I'm hoping. Yeah. I mean, I think that, you know, I, I have a lot of neurodivergent people in my life. Um, I've, a lot of autistic people in my life. And I think that um, differences is a good way to put it. You know, um, some people just need different styles of communication. Um, sometimes it's really that simple. Mm-hmm. Um, so, you know, as a, as a friend or like a partner or a sibling or whoever, you know, um, I think it's really important to, you know, accommodate that and make that a part of your relationship. So I think, too, though, a lot of the studies are saying that folks who have some gender identity issues are also being traumatized by our healthcare yes. system. <laughs> and that is causing mental health issues, which are considered disabilities or dis- disabling. Mm-hmm. So that is a chicken and egg situation where they may not have had a disability before they now do because they are being traumatized by the medical industrial. Yes. So, you know, I, you know, I know that you've worked on some issues like that. Mm -hmm. So can we talk about that a little bit? Yeah. I, it, going to the doctor accessing medical services while being trans can be really terrifying. And, you know, we're, we're in Massachusetts, it's considered to be a liberal haven, but there have been um, very solid widespread attempts to take away trans rights, including um, allowing trans people to be discriminated in places that give out medical aid um, in very recent years. So I think people are kind of unaware of that. Um, I think the trauma of being disabled and queer definitely overlaps when it comes to medical settings. Um, A lot of people, um, you know, people who experience chronic pain, people who have, you know, either lesser known or lesser talked about um, conditions often have doctors not believe them. Um, It often takes, you know, multiple doctors or specialists or letters upon letters Um, And there's an overlap there with the trans communities. Some doctors and medical professionals just don't believe people when they say they're trans or they don't respect it. Yes. They're afraid to come forward because they're hiding somewhat in their community. They're not necessarily there. They've had traumatizing issues in the past. So they let medical conditions go on way too long or they're not yeah. treating their depression, they're not treating their other medical issues and suicide rates very high. Yes. You know, there's just a lot of um, a lot of data yeah. out there. Yeah, and I think, you know, when it comes to I, I've had more positive experiences in medical settings because 
my parents did a lot of research on pediatricians before we were born. So I got very lucky and I have someone that I can speak with and someone who actually, um, you know, works in medical settings specifically with trans people. Um, but I think that, you know, the, the danger is in being afraid or, um, being anxious about going to the doctor. You know, there are times, you know, if I'm, you know, if I have a flu or something and I'm going into the doctor and they uh, misgender me, so they, they assign me the wrong gender or pronouns, um, I don't say anything because if they feel a certain way about LGBTQ people, that could affect the treatment that I receive. So, um, so you worry about that? Oh, constantly. Um, you know, I, I live very out and proud, I, but there are certain situations where, you know, for example, you meet new people. Um, you have to make a decision when you meet a new person if you want to tell them your pronouns or not. Um, I often do, but sometimes if I get bad vibes from someone, for my own safety, I won't tell them. Um, and so, Ivy, you know that they feel this way. I do. Yes. Um, I think I learned that um, over time. I mean, we were lucky enough uh, where we live that we did a lot of research to find the right medical professionals, especially like, you know, children's hospital is a really great resource to start with. Um, finding someone who's a good therapist, it's very hard to find someone who has experience in working with LGBTQ people. And especially yeah. LGBTQ people of color, yeah. which is really important to me. So, I mean, think about if you're going to your doctor, I mean, I know being the person I ha- I am, I'm never, I don't feel afraid to go to my doctor or really any doctor I've ever been to, but um, you want to be seen as who you are and respected as who you are and understood. Right. And if your doctor can't do that, then it's not going to be a very productive, positive experience for that person. But I remember you telling me mm-hmm. that you were at school every week. Yes, school was while tough. they were growing up. Yeah, and now that they are an adult, how do you deal with it? Right, as the mom of them. How, how do I deal with it now that they're grown up? Yeah, I'm um, looking forward to this answer. <laughs> yeah. Um. Oh, and I am getting my pronouns right. I just realized that. <laughs> Um, well, I think L is quite, uh, advanced for their age. I'm, and, I'm assertive. I like to be yes, assertive. <laughs> and L is very cautious. And I think they know they do a lot of research. Um, actually I feel as though L knows more than I do and always is assuring <laughs> me, mom, I've got this, this, and this, and I'm going with this person and I know everybody and it's going to be great. And I feel safe. It's a priority for Elle, so they always make sure that when they're going into a situation that they're not familiar with, that they've kind of done their research. Um, in high school, it was really hard because the administration didn't know how um, some of the trans students felt. Or they weren't, or they didn't just, they just didn't. Yeah, care. they didn't do their research. And... Uh, you know, Elle was harassed in school the entirety. Right. You know, by kids, by by teams. By um, and teams. we were we were in school all the time, but sometimes the school didn't see it as a problem. And that was the big problem. That they didn't understand what it's like to be transgender. 
Um, and we had wow. to really push and push. And, you know, I think we were able to make some changes. Elle made a lot of changes themselves. Um, but I still think a lot of schools have a long way to go. And I know kids who are coming out transgender much younger in elementary school. Um, and I feel as though the schools really need to get a handle on how to support those kids. Wow. So, so Elle, that actually really brings me to my next question for you because you are doing so much. And I really want to know, because my podcast is a lot about some pretty fantastic people who have decided to do something more with their life and their life story, usually not at 19. <laughs> um, when did you know that you wanted to take this journey that you've been on and turn it into something for your community and share what you've learned and help others. Um, and, and what are you doing with what you've learned? First of all, today <laughs> you, you have already taught us so much. You've already taught me so much. I can tell that you are, you know, you, you are such a leader, such a, a peer leader and I've got your resume in front of me. I've got the <laughs> list of things that you have done and are doing, so I know. But but there's always this moment when I talk to people in my interviews. So what was what was Elle's moment? Yeah, I think I've had several moments. Um, one stands out the most, but I think you know I I like to say that you know I I had to become an activist, and the sad truth is for a lot of trans folks and specifically folks of color, you have to become your own advocate. Um, I was in a school system that did not care about my safety or well-being. Um, so I really had to make my own way. And my parents could only do so much from home when it's, you know, really between students and no one seems to catch or care about the interactions. Um, I get so, goosebumps when I hear that. It's, yeah, it's a sad reality um, that exists everywhere in this country. Just because we're, we're in New England does not mean that everyone feels safe here. Um, so I, I had to become my own advocate. Um, like I said, in freshman year, I got involved in GSA. Um, at that point, I became more invested in the queer communities in my school and I decided I would run for GSA president. So I ran and I won. So I was GSA president sophomore through senior year. Um, and in that time, I, I developed an almost mentorship role with, I, I call them my kids. Mm -hmm. um, and, <laughs> you know, it was very much, you know, I know you can't be yourself at home, but you're here now and let's make the best of it very much. Um, you know, if you are having a problem with your parents, you need to talk, call me. Um, every, how do you find that <laughs> in yourself when you're already hurting? I yeah. mean, I'm it's sitting just, here crying because I know so many kids that have been hurt and through my 
25 years of doing this work, L, I, I mean, the kids that, uh, that we've lost, you know, the, the people that we just can't get back. How do you find such strength to do this? Not just for yourself. You're so resilient for yourself, but to then embrace others. I guess it just, I guess it just comes naturally to me. I don't really have a good answer. Um, I've just, I've always been drawn to community and I, I, I really want people to do, do better than be okay. Yeah. Um, I, because they deserve it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And, you know, I, I saw the way my school, you know, I, I, I experienced the way my school treated me. I did not want those kids experiencing what I did. I I wanted to give them self-confidence and I wanted to give them agency. And I I wanted to tell them that there was more than this crabby high school experience. Yeah. Um, Because for a lot of LGBTQ plus people, it's just about surviving in high school. High school is a very difficult time for a lot of people. And I know a lot of people now who are in college like I am and they just feel so much more free. Yeah. Um, you know, it's a, it's a big transition, but and if you, you know, can just get them past that point. Mm-hmm. Yeah. It, 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 it is like about quite literal survival, you know, part of my, uh, job as a, you know, as the GSA president was, you know, I sometimes on a couple of occasions, there were kids who I knew weren't doing well. Um, and I wouldn't let them go home alone because I did not trust them to be alone with themselves. Mm-hmm. Um, and that's sadly, I think, an experience that a lot of people have in high school these days is, you know, having to do mental health interventions because, mm-hmm. you know, and I, of course, I, um, you know, contacted the adults in the school and I made sure that that person was able to see a social worker I'd been working with so they could speak more openly about gender with them. Um, but the school will tell you that it's not their responsibility I think one of the things that schools don't realize about LGBTQ kids is that um, some kids aren't safe at home either. And they come to school and even though maybe they don't feel 100% safe, they have other friends that they can find refuge in. Mm-hmm. And, and some kids come to school and are not out to their families. Right. But they're out at school. Yeah. And the schools need to understand that and not out these kids to their family until if they're ever ready still, you know, I mean, to do and that. The school, the high school that I went to has outed kids. Yeah. Um, of course, no one seemed to really care when it happens, but um, it's a big deal. You know, these, there are serious consequences. You know, these kids, uh, you know, maybe told their family and their family got angry and they've stayed quiet about it ever since, but then they get a call from the school using the person's actual pronouns and not their old pronouns and name and the parents get angry they tear through their kids room they take away their kids pride flags that's happened plenty of times they take away their kids like gender affirming clothing um it's common it's very common and you know uh we have a joke at gsa because um everyone uses a different when you can't tell your parents that you're at the gender and sexuality alliance everyone uses different clubs that they're supposed to be at right um and one of our gsa members once um once their parents were like yelling at them because they found out they were attending a gsa meeting and the parent used used the letters blt instead of gsa and 
that was a running joke for a while is I'm, I'm headed to BLT. <laughs> um, so, you know, the kids, we make the most of it and we, we do everything we can for folks. You know, I, I do everything I can for kids when I have access to them. Um, you know, and there's still kids I'm in contact with, you know, I, the people who are running the GSA now were working with me at the time when I was president. So yeah. I still feel very connected. And, you know, that was one of my moments. And, you know, uh, another one of those kind of moments that I knew I wanted to become more active in kind of policy routes. Um, you sponsored a bill. I did, mm-hmm. I did do that. Yeah. Tell us about that. Um, yeah. So that must have been exciting. Can I start this story? Yeah, you can start this Okay. Story. Um, so we were home one night and, um, Elle and, uh, their twin were going to be getting her driving lessons mm-hmm. and Elle realized that on the driver's license, you could only put M for male or F for female and other states had done X, X for, uh, or as a variable, as really. a variable. Yes. Um, and so Elle came to Diego God, another and I thing night. I never would have thought of. <laughs> yeah. Just like every time I go somewhere, I see every place where you can't go if you're in a wheelchair, because that's mm-hmm. my world, yeah. right? I would have never thought about the male-female yeah. thing well, on I the mean, driver's license. Yeah, another, we'll get back to the story in a minute, but <laughs> another really interesting intersection between uh, disability and gender is how, uh, we have gendered restrooms, but a lot of restrooms that are meant to accommodate disabled folks aren't gendered, which I think is, you know, you were talking about the overlap earlier, and I, yeah. I'm sure that's like a, a very interesting thing to experience for disabled people who are also transgender. Right. Wow. So we were home one evening, and Elle says, you know, I really want to put X on my license. Why can't I do that? And Diego and I are like, well, I don't know. Why can't you? And Elle goes, I'm going to write a letter to my senator. And we're like, <laughs> okay. So Elle sent the letter. And literally within days, the senator. Who's the next? Spilka, yeah. Uh, Senate Karen President Spilka. Spilka called Elle from her personal cell phone on her way home one night. That is a turning point for me personally for Elle because it was really the first time that a public figure, somebody who's highly regarded outside of our house, (laughs) right, who uh, said, Elle, I want to help you. I want to support you. Uh, I see you as you are, and let's get this done. And And this is an important issue. This was, that was just a really big turning point. Pretty self-affirming, right? Yeah, and I think that, you know, I was young and at a point where, I was so unsupported in my high school, which is like your entire life when you're in high school, it's just school and your activities. Um, And it felt good to get recognition from someone and adults in power. Um, And I think it was kind of my first dip into, um, you know, really advocating on a, on a wider scale because from there I went to work, uh, for a national LGBTQ nonprofit. I started doing a lot more grassroots work. I started doing some consulting and training work. So that was really, that bill was really kind of laid the groundwork for me saying, I want to do this for the rest of my life. Yeah. And we spent a couple years on that bill. 
And we did media events, press conferences. Right. Spoke at the commission. Nothing happens quickly, right? right. Our, oh, our the legislative process is ridiculous. Like a slot. <laughs> yeah, it or took, it took two sessions for yeah, us, which is least, two yeah. sessions is pretty quick. But it was really just because we were like calling and checking up like very regularly. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, but yeah, we, yeah. we got lucky because we had so we had really great support from Senate President Spoka. Her staff's amazing. There's no way we would have gotten any kind of bill through as fast. And even you know the the bill itself um, never even passed. Yeah. It was the the momentum from the bill was what caused the DMV to institute the X option through policy and not actually through law. Um, so I which think- is just so much better anyway. Yeah. Um, you know, I think having those policies come from the inside is very important. And, you know, I wasn't the only, you know, champion of this, this gender X bill. Um, there, you know, were efforts at the same time by the Massachusetts transgender political coalition, great organization, um, to get that X license as well. They have a lot of legislative work that they're always doing. So, um, you know, I wasn't, I wasn't alone in the fight, mm-hmm. um, but it was, uh, it was a, a step into a spotlight that I was ready for, but it was very jarring, uh, because I talked earlier about safety and about, you know, coming out on the daily, depending who I'm talking to. And the hate and the bigotry of people like I never met just hit me full force. And I was like, what, 15, 16? Yeah. Really? Um, just, you know, I, I, I got any kind of threat you can imagine. I got it. Um, and that's, that's not only a part of being trans on the internet, but having like your name in press, you know, at, at, at the high school, once I became GSA president, I faced more harassment because people saw me as a target. But, you know, once you get into the public eye, you have to make a lot of decisions for your own safety. You know, we I had was, to talk about it as a family a lot. So Ivy, you yeah. must have been so scared for them when this happened. I was. Um, I mean, I I have a lot of confidence in Elle's ability too. And I think we felt that this was an important issue to put out there to the public, to let people know about it. Right. And I felt, and I know Elle feels this way, that in order to in order to educate other people you kind of have to really put certain things out to the public to make it more normal eventually hopefully yes that people will be like they won't see that story and you know think oh how awful that is or make fun of that person mm-hmm. oh they'll, they'll it's right. more normalized Right. Well, their experience, as much as it is their experience, is not unique. Right. Not, no, not so unique. entirely. Um, And I think that, you know, another aspect of doing the media was, you know, the the educational aspects. But I um, had to, I had to learn a lot around kind of like respectability politics. Like when you're in the state house, there's a certain conduct right. you need to have. Good. There's a way that you need to dress. And it, it's, it's good in a lot of ways, but I think that, you know, I was in a position where I was young. I was coming and speaking about issues that people didn't have a lot of ideas about. Um, so I really had to kind of walk the line. 
mm-hmm. um, in a lot of ways. Yes. So unbelievably, we are out of time, of wow. course. <laughs> Did I not tell you that we were going to run out of time so fast? Listen, I have so many more things I wanted to ask you, which I did not get to ask you, but I can't let this interview go without asking you if, Elle, you could give a couple of tips to not just the young people out there who may need some support right now, because I know there are so many. I don't know how many of them listen to my podcast, But I also really want to ask if you could give some tips to parents who might be struggling with these issues in their families. Yeah. Um, Just what would you like to, you know, words words of wisdom, please. Um, I know that you have lived through this, but you're still living through it. Um, You're so young. It's my life. It's your life. So can you help us? Yeah. I think what I'd say to youth is that uh you're you're perfect just the way you are um it's okay to explore it's okay to change how you identify in fact it's a great thing um i always like to celebrate when people change their name or pronouns because oftentimes it's seen as a burden socially but i think it's just someone coming into themselves even more i think it's very exciting um so And where can people find support if they're struggling and need help? Yeah, so there's a couple different organizations like specific to our Metro West area. So I work at Framingham Glass, which is an organization to specifically support LGBTQ plus people of color. Uh, We also have Out Metro West that uh, runs groups for high school age and middle school age LGBTQ plus youth. But believe it or not, I have people who listen all over the world to this podcast. Wow. Yeah. (laughs) Fantastic. Yeah. So um, it goes out all over the country and and to the United States, (laughs) every, every single state and actually about 35 to 40 different countries all over the world. Wow. So well, I'd say maybe on a, a larger scale, I think that um, there's some really great organizations that are helping people advocate for themselves. Uh, the Transgender Law Group does a lot of really amazing work when it comes to kind of discrimination cases and working with families to make sure that their kids are treated well in you know, things like a public school setting. Um, you know, I... I used to work for an organization called GLSEN and um, G-L-S-E-N. Yes, G-L-S-E-N. And I think that they have some really great resources regarding GSAs and making your own affinity group. A lot of of youth have to make their own spaces. Yes. Um, I think those are two two groups that I definitely plug. you know, there are many, many LGBTQ plus organizations across the country and they all have different um, kind of specialties. Um, but I definitely think that a good place to start would be any local LGBTQ center, um, any local GSA groups. Um, you know, you very often there are things around you you may not even know about until you look for them. Um, PFLAG is pretty common yeah. in the Massachusetts area. Right. It's a really great resource for parents um, who can, can go to speak to other parents and learn kind of more about their child's experience. Really um, great resource. Mm-hmm. Yeah, PFLAG is pretty great. 
Um, so there are, there are a lot of different places to look. Google is your friend. Um, you know, really. well, sometimes you can run into things that are a little kooky if you're not too careful. Google can send you down some rabbit holes sometimes, so you do have to be a little discriminating. Yes. Um, and I think in terms of advice to families, uh, patients always um, understanding that your kid might not have all the answers. Um, yeah. Kids are young. They're still learning about themselves. Even adults, I'm still learning about myself. Mm-hmm. Um, they may not have all the answers to your questions. Um, it might take time. They might never know. Um, it's just important to, to listen to them, listen to their needs. Um, and I also think it's important to know that, you know, if a, a child comes out as trans, that, you know, the conversation can start with acceptance. Um, I think a lot of people jump to things like medical transition because that's the the big scary part for a lot of parents. Hmm. And I think it's really important to start slow to consult professionals like like the GEMS program at Boston Children's um, to speak with great therapists, social workers, Mm -hmm. um, you know, come to a collective understanding. That's funny. My brain didn't even go to the medical transition piece. Mm-hmm. I yeah, think it's, it's it does. It's, that's I think it's the big parents think about all that. the parents I yes. talk to. Hmm. You know, my kid's young. I don't know what they want to do yet. You know, I don't know how to speak to them about this, and that's really where I think you know uh, trans advocates and social workers and mental health workers are are really um, really great. Hmm. Um, I also think that just having your child speak to other trans people mm-hmm. is really important. Finding common space. Always good to find your people mm-hmm. and your community for Absolutely. sure. And, you know, I, I feel great speaking, you know, I've, I've spoken to, you know, trans youth that are more around my age and a lot younger trans youth. And um, you know, I think them knowing they're not alone means so much, especially mm-hmm. when they're developing. So. And if you are in that, Crossover Autism Community, AANE, has a lot of really great groups that um, share autism and gender identity issues or LGBTQ issues as well. So I know they have some groups that get together. I don't know if, um, I don't know how good they are. I don't know if people, you know, think that they're any good, but I know that they're there. So, um, and AANE is a group, is uh, I think an organization that really tries to do a lot of good out in the autism community and we support that. I mean, so. the, the groups that have autistic people behind them are the groups we should be following. That's right. Nothing about us without us. Exactly. <laughs> um, Ivy, do you have anything that you want to add? From a parent perspective? Um, Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, what Elle said about having patience, but I think patience for the long haul because it's a process because when a child comes out to you as transgender, that's not kind of where they stop. No. They're still working through it, finding themselves, finding their way, and just realize it's going to be a bumpy road. Um, and understanding that the child may take some turns or dress a certain way that might be uncomfortable to the parents, but you really, you really have to listen. be strong and listen and support your child. And it's not about you. 
No, exactly. It's, it's about supporting your child, no matter what anybody in the community says. And that can be hard for some people. Um, but I think for us, that's been the best, I guess, recipe you could say is that if the child wants to explore their gender, uh, then support them in it. Mm-hmm. And they'll be happy for it. Right. And if and it's important to go to school and let the school know and hope that they have some things in place because the child's going to need support in school. Right. They're going to need at least somebody that they feel comfortable going to that's going to understand what they're going through. And that's going to defend them really against mm-hmm. other kids. We could do a whole nother podcast just on school (laughs) as somebody who ended up homeschooling for a few years I can tell you that school is not always the right answer for every kid yeah oh my gosh we have to stop (laughs) I am so grateful this was such a wonderful interview thank you so much for your time today I really appreciate it and I know the audience is going to love this (laughs) thank you so much um I do hope that you guys have a great afternoon. And um, if there's anything else that, you know, we haven't covered, maybe we can do another one of these sometime soon. Sure. sure. Okay. Great. Thank you. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in. I just wanted to take a second to say how much I appreciate you taking the time to listen to these podcasts. I'm having a blast doing them. And I hope that you're finding the content to be what you were really hoping If you are, please take a second to leave a rating and a review. It's so helpful in getting this content out to people who really need to hear it. Thank you so much.